A certain agency came in and the people will go for help. They ask, I need your identification, your driver's license. And they said, we don't have any, it burned in the fire. Right. And they said, we can't help you without identification. But here these people are already in trauma yeah. and, and hear that and, and they just clam up. They don't know what to do and they walk away. When bureaucracy takes over humanity, we have a problem. I didn't know anything. How would we, I guess, right? Unless we immersed ourselves like we are right now. And, but if I didn't have this opportunity, I don't, how would I know? You'd be like a tourist instead of someone who wants to come to Hawaii to know Hawaii. But what I would like people to know Please. is, we certainly would love to have people come and enjoy Hawaii the same way we do. We just ask that you come as if it is your home. And I think we have an obligation if we're gonna tell the stories of what happened here through the eyes of the firefighters and the, the people that were directly involved with the fires, it's important to get this piece too mm -hmm. so that people understand that it, it is not just a community that burned. You know what I think? I think no matter where a person from Hawaii goes, Hawaii is always home. I might introduce you because I'm, I got your name down pat and I'm feeling good about it. So, you know, I wanna show off my, uh, my linguistics. Yes, yeah. Uh, that does not make me Hawaiian by any means. Um, but, uh, and then I'm gonna, I, I, think, I think how I wanna play this is I want to talk about how we got here. Um, and that's with obviously the journey of being here and part of the story that we wanna tell um, is to be sure that we're protective of um, the Hawaiian culture while we're here to mm -hmm. educate. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'm gonna, I don't wanna say it all now, I wanna go into that as I wrap my brain around that idea because I really think it's important that that's a, it's a huge piece of this story. Um, and like myself, I didn't know anything. You know, we, we don't know, you know? Um, and, and why, how would we, I guess, right? Unless we immersed ourselves like we are right now. Mm -hmm. And so this experience certainly is giving me that opportunity. But if I didn't have this opportunity, I don't, how would I know? Yeah. You know? You'd be like a tourist. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be like a tourist instead of someone who wants to come to Hawaii to know Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Not all tourists I, want to do that. No, they, do. they don't. Um, I can, I can believe that. I can foresee that for sure. Hokulani Holt, thank you for having us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Chief Amos has been taking us around and, and introducing us to people. And part of this project for us is storytelling. And the stories of the fires, the fires that consumed the upcountry, the fires that consumed Lahaina and, and other parts of the, the island, that's only a part of the story. It's, it's, a chapter or one or two chapters of the story. But the other part of the storytelling really comes down to the cultural side. For myself, this opportunity that came about less than three weeks ago, I keep telling two weeks, but it's probably been about three weeks now. We put this trip together with an open invitation from a new friend that I value tremendously. And part of that through conversation with him was documenting the stories of the firefighters. Obviously, we're a firefighting podcast and, and platform. But the other side of it, too, was I'm intrigued by the cultural side, the, the faith side, the heritage, the importance of the Hawaiian culture. And so that led us here to the University of Hawaii, Maui College here, with you. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and you could not have asked for any one person <laughs> to come to see me than Amos. We have a long history and friendship. That certainly shined through. Throughout the day, he's been telling people we're coming here, and I can tell you that many people were like, please tell her we said hello, as well as how protective he is of the conversation about you. So I know how much you value each other, and for me, that says, everything. Mm -hmm. So I guess to start, right, the real, the real big part of this, maybe a little background about yourself, where you, where you come from, your heritage, 
growing up here and to where you are today as a teacher. You know, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to learn a little bit about your story. I was actually born in Honolulu, in Waikiki, and often when I say I was born in Waikiki, people look at me like, are people ever born in Waikiki? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, sure. in the time when I was born, sure. many Hawaiian people lived in Waikiki. Okay. But at, when I was just a baby, I was brought here to Maui by my grandparents, and I was raised by my, my maternal grandparents uh, here on Maui until I was five years old. And the agreement with my parents is when I was old enough to go to school, I would be sent back to Honolulu and they would educate me. But every vacation, uh, every break, I was back here on Maui with my grandparents. Yeah. If you get out of school at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm on the three o'clock plane to Maui. If wow. we gotta go back Monday, Monday morning, I'm right. on the uh, Sunday evening plane back to Honolulu. So truly half of my life has been here on Maui. Then came the time that I got married and I had my first child and we were living in Honolulu on Baratania Street. And Baratania is one of the main thoroughfares in Honolulu. And we were in a second story apartment. She was three months old and I went, mm-mm, I don't wanna raise my children here in an apartment in Honolulu. Yeah. So we moved back to Maui. And that was in 1976 and wow. I have been here ever since. It's home. It's home, it's definitely home. Um, when anybody asks me, oh, where are you from? I say Maui all the time. Yeah. It's a magical place. I mean, go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, Maui has the best of everything. It has the best of country and it has the best of city. Yeah. So you can, in a half an hour, go to some place that have almost no buildings in the space of a half an hour. And yet you can then go to the shopping center like any sure. other place, any other city. So for me, it was the best place to raise children. I also have family here. So that was also a supportive time for us. Yeah. What's really interesting, um, Amos talks a lot about family and how in the Hawaiian culture, um, it's all about family. It's all about family. Explain that to me a little bit. Yeah, it is. Um, it actually comes from a very ancient time, from our traditional history in which the community or the family helped you and your family survive. Yeah. They help you build your house. They help you set up your taro patches. They help you. And so come to a modern day, if you are so um, inclined, you make sure that you keep connected to your family. Today, we don't live, many of us don't live in our, what we call our aina kupuna, or the place of our ancestors. Because in a modern time, we have moved. Sure. The reason I was born in Honolulu is my parents are both from Maui, but they went for work. They went to Honolulu for work, thus I was born in Honolulu. But both of them are from a long history here on Maui as well. So we teach our children to be very conscious of being um, respectful, of being kind, of being inclusive when it comes to your family. You and I know, sometimes family doesn't get along. Sure. You know, we have our differing ideas of this, that, or the other thing. But when it comes down to it, when family needs you, you always come. You must, you must always come. You might be mad at your brother because he said something stupid at Thanksgiving last year but if he calls, you will come. Yeah. There's so many parallels here. I, I think what, what's been um, really, not overwhelming, but close to it for the last few days now that we've been here and, and watching from having a barbecue with Chief Amos at his house and his family um, and learning some of their stories to uh, talking with local people here and so on. We, part of what we like to do is tell stories, right? And so with that, it's, you have to listen. And so I love to listen to people talk. And, and part of that is understanding those relationships and how that works. And so 
understanding the importance of family and that generational value. And family is more than just blood. Yes. Family is extended people in your community, friends of your parents, um, neighbors. Uh, they're all considered family. So that means like I have a friend that has been, my children call her auntie, though we are not blood related. Yes because she has been my friend for more than 40 years. Sure. And so the extent, they know they can call Auntie Mickey if they need something. Um, just like any of the other extended families that we have, it's close. I've heard this now several times, we just had this conversation. I said I've heard uncle and auntie used over and over, and it's not blood, but not it's blood. people on the same level. Yeah, yeah, the right? same, so this is, this is, Okay, on my Facebook one day, I put on my Facebook, do not call me auntie unless we're related. So, so my daughter always goes, mom, you gotta watch out what you put on Facebook because everybody listens to you. I said, why? She goes, now I'm getting phone calls. Can't I call your mother auntie anymore? Can't uh, I call your mother auntie anymore? <laughs> and I said, really, that relationship is when we call auntie or uncle, it is a respect like our own yes. parents. And so that means, like my own parents, they can scold me, they can help me, they can tell me go out the door, they can tell me go pick this up for me, and it's all good. And so that auntie and uncle is the respect of your parents' level and appreciation. Yeah. Is that becoming harder and harder though? And I want to ask this with a lot of respect because you said traditionally properties are, people grow up in generational households, right? So, mm -hmm. but as things have changed, um, the economic situation, the ability to continue to live, Mm -hmm. within your family's mm -hmm. homes and properties. That's kind of changing. People mm -hmm. are traveling to the mainland because mm -hmm. they can't find places on the islands, mm -hmm. things like that. Are, is, is some of that cultural belief being lost because you're not able to hold on to those generational I think, properties? I, you know what I think? I think no matter where a person from Hawaii goes, Hawaii is always home. Love that. Hawaii is always home. And those from Hawaii just find a way to gravitate. Yeah. And so many of those traditions, outlooks, and behaviors continue. When a, when a child goes away to college, almost always the Hawaii students and children find each other. Yeah. And then they start going to each other's homes. So it's quite a bit, it can be quite a bit of an extension of here if they want it to be. Yeah. You used the word before, um, teacher, foundation. What was that word? Uh, kumu. Beautiful, right? Foundation. I talk a lot about on our podcast about the fire service and it's built upon the blocks and bricks that are inserted into the foundation from which we build upon. Mm -hmm. Very similar to your culture. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the most important words and I think one of the most misunderstood words is aloha. Aloha. You know, everybody sees aloha as hello and goodbye. Yeah. But when you look in the Hawaiian dictionary, the definition of aloha, hello and goodbye, is definition number 11 hmm. and 12. One to 10 yeah. talks about um, affection, um, talks about care, it talks about um, being careful with one another. So hello and goodbye is number 11 and 12, but all of those attributes that we love about people are one through 10. It's, a, it's an all-encompassing word. I, I was trying to wrap my head around that as well as mahalo. Mm -hmm. it, so like aloha and mahalo, just, you know, this is a linguistics. Please talk to me. Um, we know I only speak one language, <laughs> we've talked about this. But aloha <laughs> and mahalo are new words okay. because when English came to Hawaii, we had no word for hello and goodbye. Oh, okay. So when we said aloha, it is seeing the genuine you. And so when we use that word, they chose aloha for hello and goodbye. Mahalo for thank you. We never had a mahalo for thank you. What you do is, is the thank you. Right, right. So the word thank you did not exist. So they had to go and think about 
what does it mean in, in other places, a greeting, um, a farewell, and chose that because we did aloha one another, but that was not hello and goodbye. I got it. That's beautiful, though. It's, it's to have one word or two words that have so much meaning, and it can be used in so many different contexts. You know, many of us, when we say aloha, it really, for us, the place of all feeling and knowing is in your guts, in mm. your na'au. You know when you go someplace and you go, uh-oh, yeah. I don't know if I should go here because your guts right. is telling you, uh. Right. But you go anyway because your mind said, it's okay, what's wrong with you? Just go in there. For us, if I now all said, uh, we'll go, we're going home. Yeah. And let, let our, our na'au guide, guide us and you. teach us. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. Some people call it intuition. Yes. Some people call it feeling. We believe in that a great deal. Yeah. But is that, that's then the connection between mind and body. Though, yeah. Which yeah. is very important to you. Very important. You know, among the words that you hear often, aloha and mahalo, the, the other kind of word that maybe even in the work that you do is kuleana. Kuleana. Kuleana means responsibility, mm. but it also means right. So in other words, we have a responsibility to it, but we really do want to do it. It's not like you have to. Got it. The kuleana is, my kuleana is to watch over my children. Yeah, I have to do that, but I want, want to. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes kuleana is seen as, oh my God, that's not my job. Yeah. But, yeah. But not so much. Okay. So then following in the, in the, the progression of your upbringing here. You found yourself getting your PhD. Mm -hmm. You speak and teach mm -hmm. about Hawaiian culture. Hawaiian culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give me a little, how, what, there had to be some push for you to do that. Wants to pr maybe protect, to be the, be a spokesperson for, to be I a protector think, of. I, mm, I think it goes back to when I was raised by my grandparents. Mm. Um, I was raised in what is known as a traditional Hawaiian household. My grandparents spoke Hawaiian to one another. They also spoke English, but they didn't teach their children to speak English because of the really what we call the histor historical trauma that caused them to think Hawaiian was not a language of education. Wow. So, but I was still raised in a Hawaiian household, which sure. meant um, I, was, I was not taught rules and, and conversations and values. We lived it. Yeah. Uh, an example, our house was the last house on the road, so we could hear if people were coming to the house. And so my grandmother would say, oh, somebody's, somebody's coming, go make food. And I go, okay, you get up and you do that. She'll go to the door and she'll say, Come in, we're just sitting down to eat. I love that. Come on, <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, yeah. oh no, we weren't, yeah. but okay. Right. You know, right. it's the same kind. Come and eat with us. You know, this kind of hospitality is not only Hawaiian, it's found throughout the world. But I think here in Hawaii, it's given to all freely. Yeah, there's no expectation that there will be that's, a return. That's the difference. Right. There's no expectation. So growing up in a Hawaiian household, living, Hawaiian ways. I went to uh, Kamehameha from kindergarten to 12th grade, and it's a school for Hawaiian children. And the whole while, um, and I think it's because of my time with my grandparents, I really felt that Hawaiian things and culture was important to me. Um, I come from a family of hula teachers, Kumuhula, okay. my grandmother, three of my aunties, Myself and my sister, my son and my cousin, we, wow. we, it, it's a tradition for right. us. And so um, it kind of automatically happens. And so when I began to, I went to college, and then when I began to get into the work world, I still gravita gravitated towards education right. and towards things Hawaiian. Mm. And I don't know if it was a conscious decision but um, I come from a mother that says, if you, wanna, if you want something, do it. I love that. You want to go over there, do it. Go get it. 
do it. And, and if you believe in something, stand up for it. And so those were the kinds of also thoughts and values that were said, that when it was a time when Hawaiian language was not valued, we brought Hawaiian language um, preschools into being all the way to 12th grade and then into college because if you believe in it you have to stand up for it yeah yeah so I think being in that kind of household mm -hmm. and in that kind of environment um, I love things Hawaiian my mother loved things Hawaiian and I don't know if it was a decision as much as oh this is what this is right for me this is right for me yeah absolutely yeah that's beautiful, you know. Um, home is so important. Our upbringing is so important. The foundation for which you build upon relationships <laughs> is important. And so for you now to be in the position that you're in, you get to instill those values in a more modern way, if you will, through a formal education. And also because, you know, we have things like Zoom and, yeah. and videos and right. TikTok and all the rest <laughs> in which our cultural information can get out into the world. Yeah. So one of the things that is really quite basic to Hawaiian um, understanding or being is place. Aina, a place is important to us where we were born, okay. uh, where our grandparents are from, um, where we see ourselves as being. You know, there's a, a song and a phrase that we use, which is Hei Hawai'iel. And Hei Hawai'iel means I am Hawaiian. But more than I am Hawaiian, it is like Hawaiian is me. Hawaii is me. Yeah. Not I am, Hawaii is me. Um, and you know, sometimes, this is kind of dopey, but sometimes when I'm driving on the car and a certain song comes on the radio and I'm driving through a specific area, I've got to pull over. I've got to pull over and just listen and experience the time and place. You do that? I do. That's beautiful. I do. And then I go, okay, got to get to the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> get back yeah. on the road. But it's... it's uh... It's a reminder. It's a. It's almost like a. For me, something like that is. It's almost like a reset for me. Like I need that mm -hmm. moment to be to ground myself before I continue on with the hustle and bustle of my day. You know, in a Hawaiian meeting, when you meet someone, right. almost the first question is, "Where are you from?" Okay. Because when you say where you're from, here in Hawaii, we gain certain attributes from the place that we live. Oh, okay. You know, if, we're, if we live in a really wild and windy place, you get a little more hardy and a little bit more tough to your outside world. If you live in the city, then, oh, maybe not so much. Right. And so when you say, oh, I come from Waikiki, it's like, <laughs> but if you say, I come from Waiehu, oh, then you know, oh, that's a country person. Got it. That's a person from the country. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Place. Place, place is important. But place. does place also mean your place in order? Your place in family? Does do the layers within matter? Oh, yeah. Your stature, your position, yeah. if you will? Seniority is important. Yeah. Senior, well, okay. In a, in a traditional Hawaiian family, there are two positions in the family line that are special. Okay. The eldest right. and the youngest. Okay. And the youngest because they are the baby brat and can get everything they want. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was me till my baby sister was I was born. the baby, yeah. I am the baby. And, and that happens in a family. The eldest, I have three children. Right. A girl, my daughter Luukia, she's a doctor. She's nice. a physician, she's yeah. the eldest. My son Lono is the middle. He works for Hawaiian Airlines and he's a kumuhula as well. And then my youngest, Kani Ao, she's a professor here um, at the college and, and she has a PhD as oh, well. Right. Yeah. So that's only three children. But even within the three, Luukia, who is the eldest, she knows her responsibility is to take care of all of her siblings. Yeah. No matter what, you have to over take care of your siblings. And so at one time, they all three were in college at the same time. So they all lived with her. No kidding. <laughs> wow. Her. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the youngest, you know, she kind of, and she'll tell you, yeah, I was the youngest, and if I didn't want to do something, mom didn't make me. 
I get it. Yeah. I get it. So I in do. a family, in a family, usually the elders have great responsibility, but they also have great respect within yeah. the family. And the youngest is usually the one that gets away with murder. Sure. But they respect the placement from within. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. That's important. That's really important. It's knowing it's knowing your place. It's and knowing, knowing where you are in, in the place that you live. And so in Hawaii, with, and th when I say Hawaii families, it's not just Hawaiian blooded families. It's those who have made Hawaii their home, their home. for generations. Yeah. And these are those who came for the plantation era and have made Hawaii their home. Um, they pretty much feel for Hawaii the same way. You mentioned um, the word inclusion before. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is synonymous with that plantation culture. Mm -hmm. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that for me? Well, um, I, didn't, I didn't live in the plantation yeah. places, but I had friends. Right. And when the, the immigrants first were, came to Hawaii for the plantation, they were kept separate. They had Japanese village, they had Chinese village, they, had, they were kept separate, but they worked in the fields together. together yeah. And so they would share what they had and thus we eat everybody's kind of food. Right. Because when you sit down for lunch, they bring what they bring from their own home and their own palate, and then they share it. Um, it's a sharing kind of thing. Sure. And, and that's uh, important for us, the sharing and the inclusion. Um, you know, almost every Hawaiian, almost, has Chinese in them. Mm. And that's because the first immigrants that were brought to Hawaii were Chinese. Okay. And they didn't come with families. It was only the males that came. So you know, you're finished with work and you're yeah. looking around, there's only Hawaiians here. Right. So we have many Hawaiians that also have Chinese. Makes sense. And so the inclusion in families is really, really important. And that's why it's easy for our children to have many races in them. My own children have Hawaiian, um, English, Filipino, and a little bit of Spanish. Mm. That's not uncommon. Right. Yeah. Right. And when you go to parties, you see all kinds of food at the party because we enjoy all of these foods and as well. That makes sense, for sure. I think what I, I, I love about that, though, is how important the inclusion is. And, and a few things you said that really strike me is that you don't have to be from here, but if you make this your home, if you're a part of, and Chief Amos and I were talking, and Sebi were talking about this before, about the responsibility of being a part of the community. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to want to be a part of it, and to be included, but in order to be included, you need to do your part. Well, you know, take your kids to soccer like everybody else, <laughs> take them to swimming class like everybody right. else, right. And, and after soccer, it's come over to my house, we're, we're getting together at my house, just like what you saw, sure. okay, everybody comes, and then, you know, the children see each other and all of that. But it's, it's that inclusion that we have here, and if you are willing to become a part, it's very easy to enter. And, and what I'm, where I'm transitioning and segueing to with this conversation is the stories that I'm hearing about the fires that have occurred mm -hmm. in, uh, about a month ago now, mm -hmm. um, August 8th, um, the sense of community that's come from that. The community was here long before the fires and the, the helping one another, you know, neighbor helping neighbor, mm -hmm. if you will. But after the fact, even more so, the stories that have been shared with me about everybody all hands on deck mm -hmm. it was a uh, everybody needed and wanted to get involved to help their neighbors mm -hmm. and and uh, and proof of that is all the different hubs yes for help that came up in the various communities right. because you know 10 of us get together okay let's have a place where people can come and get what they need right and that happened all over right so I guess where I would like to take this then, this conversation then, is to kind of bring it forward a little bit to what has happened here. Um, your position with the college um, and, uh, and so on, and a community leader, if you will, a cultural community leader. Um, you are directly involved mm -hmm. um, with a lot of the aftermath of the fires, if you will, um, for lack of better words. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know the one thing you said to me um, 
with the different agencies that are now here. Something that you're providing. Talk about that a little bit. What you're what you're doing? Yeah, we've developed a cultural sensitivity training program. So important. And it, it goes through various things, and you know, it talks about history. It talks about um, what values we hold, and it also um, talks a little bit about Hawaiian language. Yes. And a little bit about um, pidgin, and pidgin is an actual language. Uh, pidgin. Pidgin. It's a Creole, Hawaiian Creole uh, language, and it has its own orthography, it yeah. has its own pronunciation, it has its own vocalization. Do you speak it? I was not raised in okay. Pidgin. Right, uh, right. I wasn't I, no, I understand. Pidgin, I just didn't know if you But had... I know how to speak you do. Pidgin. Wow. But I, okay. it's, it's the difference of this B R A H, bra. Right. So you can say bra, and then you go bra. Two different intonations, and you go, the bra is like, okay, back up, something's happening, and right. the bra is, okay, come on in. So it's, um, there's words like, how's it, um, over there, uh, some. Interesting. Uh, and, and for example, among a group of pigeon speakers, you can hear, get the thing over there, take it to that other side, you pick it up, and then we'll take it out to the way it's supposed to go. Anybody else is like, what? what? What's happening where? Yeah. But the pigeon right. speaker knows exactly what's going on. I get it. So it is, Interesting. A, it's before they used to see pigeon as being less than. Hmm. That you're stupid yeah. if you speak pigeon. But it's an actual language with its own words and orthography and vocalization. Like, hmm. Like um, you know, like they have in Louisiana. With sure, the, absolutely. With the French Creole, that that's they, right. Same like what we have I get it. here. Got it. Um, so things like that, we want them to know if they hear these words that people are speaking, find an interpreter, just like you have any other language. Find someone who speaks pidgin or knows yeah. pidgin and can help you. Don't dismiss it as being they're just stupid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So don't dismiss them. And, and you know, the, we talk about uh, historical trauma. We talk about um, our values that we hold in high regard. Um, we talk about um, Hawaii as, has an aloha law that is in statute that we must practice aloha in our state. I love that. And it's, and it's a law and a statute. And, you know, people are like, what? You have a value that's set in law, and we go absolutely. Yeah, it's a way of life. It is, right. and so the the trainings that we do is to try and help people have a base knowledge of where we are, who we are, and what is important to us. Because so many people have responded, right? So right. there's a lot of, you know, this isn't. It's it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that this is an island, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I get it, obviously, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But you're, an island then means that it has a border around it. And that so you the, can see. So the only way we can get people here, resources here, is bringing them in from outside. Yeah. Today, before, when, um, uh, we don't like to say Hawaii was discovered by Captain Cook because we were here. We knew where we are. <laughs> we didn't have to be discovered. Yeah, we didn't have to be discovered. We were already doing fine. <laughs> we already fine. knew what we yeah. did. Yeah. Right. So when right. he came, um, it is estimated there were 800,000 Hawaiians. Wow. In, in passing of 50 years, it went down to 40,000. Oh, my goodness. Because of illnesses, sure, that things came that came outside. in from the outside, and yeah. they no longer could support their own families because they supported 800,000 people on these islands with no help from anyone Imagine else. That. And so now we have gotten away from that and we import 90%. Yes. And to us, that we should be going the other way. Yeah. To be more self-sufficient. I understand that conversation. I think a lot of people are having that conversation, mm -hmm. but definitely your own island. I mean, to be self-sufficient. And, and to be on an island, uh, to be an island person, it is a different view of your of yourself in the place that you are. You see the end of your world, so you have to get along, yeah. because that's all that's here. Right. You know, so 
those things are, are part of the, the training that I do. I also um, feel that the things that we give them is but a start to at least think. At least think a little bit. You know, one example that was given to me was when a certain agency came in and the people will go for help. They ask, I need your identification, your, right. your, your driver's license. Right. And they said, we don't have any, it burned in the fire. Right. And they said, we can't help you without identification. Imagine, Imagine that. And so then, you know, the county is, is trying to get everybody sure. identification and stuff. But here, these people are already in trauma. Yeah. And, and hear that, and, and they just clam up. They don't know what to do, and they walk away. When bureaucracy takes over humanity, mm -hmm. we have a problem. We have a problem. We so a problem. some of that happened, and thus this training to try and help people um, if you don't understand what they're saying, maybe they're speaking Filipino, maybe right. they're speaking Absolutely. Spanish, maybe right. they're speaking Pigeon, maybe we have many languages in our uh, community. Yeah. So that's also an important part to know. I mean, sensitivity training, I mean, it, it's what I was getting at and you reinforced it was the help that has responded now to, to try to get these communities back up and, and mm -hmm. at least and help. And help are coming from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so there is a cultural learning curve that mm -hmm. has to happen here. Mm -hmm. And so I know, yeah, please. And thus that, that training happens um, and hopefully enough people will get it so that enough of the understanding will yeah. happen, even if not 100% yeah. can happen. Um, one other thing I'd like to talk about please. that came out of, of the um, fire was what we heard from the community that they needed to have for their own spiritual and personal well-being. Please talk about that. And, and so uh, a group of us, a, a bunch of us, Kumuhula, got together and designed some ceremonies in order to address some of this. The first ceremony in, in our calendar, a week, is 10 days. Because you look, 30 days, 10 days, 10 days. So our week is 10 days. Okay. So we had our first ceremony for the well-being of Lahaina about four days after the fire, and it continued for 10 days. Um, and, and the prayers were for health and for well-being of Lahaina. And we stood and we chanted towards Lahaina in order for all of that to go there. Then we had a ceremony um, that a traditional ceremony that was to try and guide the souls that have not left yet to go where they have to go. Because you know, the fire came so fast yes. that realization that they were gone may not have really happened. So we heard that there were still some feelings of um, souls that had not left yet. So we had a ceremony and particular kinds of woods were burned to make a fire and then the families could come and say the names of their um, lost one and as the and they put something in the fire and as the smoke goes up there is a hope that they will go to where they need to go um, so we had that um, we had a ceremony for 12 hours to follow the movement of the sun because we know the sun is our life it is the sun that is the catalyst of life here sure. in the world. Sure. And their catalyst is also water. The sun brings all the different changes in water and evaporation and transpiration and rain and all of that. So we, we followed the sun and we had a morning, sunrise, noontime and sunset ceremonies to, to honor that movement and to bring health that the sun brings to us yeah. each and every day. And then um, we just finished one last week, Monday, which was to um, ask for the healing and cleansing of the land itself. So there were four spaces that we went to, the four edges of Lahaina and the top and bottom from the highest mountain down to the ocean. And we did simultaneously chants and prayers to go up. And then each area had specific ones for their area and their time. And we wanted to do it because we heard that the um, families are going to go back 
into Lahaina in about two weeks. Right. So we wanted to have them feel comfortable that we holoika'aina, that we cleared the land for life. And that just was completed on Monday. So we did these ceremonies in response to what the people seemed to say they needed. So many, so much to unpack there, right? Um, for yourself to be a cultural leader, to um, be a part of these ceremonies must be an incredible honor for you, but you're, but doing it because you must. Mm -hmm. Spirituality, obviously, is such a large part mm -hmm. of your culture. Mm -hmm. um, and to, and this is why I wanted to find my way here, and I'm so grateful that we did, because I have a much, much better understanding of, of all of it. And to understand how spirituality takes hold and, and is a part of the culture explains a lot then why it's so important to preserve and protect because it's not just property. It's not you, just property. You have um, a tremendous amount of history, religion, uh, Polynesian faith, culture, uh, all these different all these different aspects of, of community. It's not mm -hmm. just the physical. Right. And so to understand um, and to be a part of that healing must be very important. I, I feel it is um, that we are able to bring um, our ancestors, our yeah. kupuna, bring our kupuna to the place and ask for their help in the next phases that we request to be able to see our um, spirituality around us every day in the sun and in the wind and in the ocean and all of that is important and because we see it every day we're reminded every day you know our our ancestors believed strongly in everything they believed they believed in wholeheartedly in whatever belief system they had. When it was the traditional system, 100% in there. When Christianity came to Hawaii, 100% yeah. into there. So as a people, um, we are a very spiritual people. And because of that, we look at all parts of the spirituality to try to come to aid um, in the healing emotionally, mentally, spiritually and physically of our people. I wonder if that's part of the conflict happening now, right? There's a lot of information out there, mm. but when you, when you take a spirituality conversation from an outsider or even an insider that believes um, in the Hawaiian culture, government then typically has a hard time understanding yeah. And there's a massive misconnect, uh, miscommunication, if you will, between what the people need and have to have mm -hmm. versus how systems work, mm -hmm. right? It's a little more, the Hawaiian culture, your culture is a little more gray. It's not as black and white <laughs> as bureaucracy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's that miscommunication. Mm -hmm. And so for you then to be in that position, you're brokering that respect for what needs to happen while educating the Others. ones that are, yeah. We're, we're, I, I feel we here on Maui are fortunate that we have a mayor that is very um, conscious and aware of Hawaiian culture and is a participant, is a, a practitioner of Hawaiian culture. And because of that, you know, he has um, charged, asked, looked towards help yeah. for, for all of these cultural things to happen and we're very, glad to do that. One of the things that we say and we fully believe in is that we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors because they are buried beneath us. Yeah. And so we are here because of them and they lift us up because we stand on their shoulders. And we know when we go, we will do the same thing to the generations that follow us. What is incredible and what I'm, uh, what I'm hearing in in learning as I go throughout this, uh, this week. Um, there's a lot of parallels when we talk about the American Fire Service, we mm. talk about the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, the family, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, um, standing on the shoulders of those that came before us, right? Um, 
there's so many parallels here. Um, speaking and interviewing some of the firefighters this morning, and we're going to be doing more this week, um, there's that sense of pride, community, taking care of one another mm -hmm. while taking care of their own homes and community. Mm -hmm. Powerful conversation. Mm -hmm. um, what do you, the future, what is your hopes? What do, what, what do you want to see happen? In Lahaina or yeah, in general? In, well, in Lahaina. I mean, Lahaina. so we're talking about the fires. You yeah. know, um, I spoke with somebody today and she's like, are you going to ask me what if I'm going back? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I kind of think I, I know what the answer is. And, and then she totally reversed course on me. I thought she would go back. She doesn't want to go back. Too much pain. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope for Lahaina and well, the future of it? I hope that the people who return to Lahaina to make Lahaina its home think of the welfare of Lahaina mm. and its people and not just come because the houses are available right. um, to be bought or to, to move in. Sure. I also hope that a more, a more Lahaina, Lahaina happens. And what I mean by that is Front Street and much of the that front part of Lahaina was very tourist driven. Right. And the families were there, but they were in the back, in the other homes that were behind Front Street and its surrounding area. So I would I would hope that people will remember Lahaina not because they came for vacation, but became because they were able to be with the people and to enjoy the same things the people enjoy. So I hope that it will more so become a, a place not only for visitors but for visitors if they come they yeah. come because we we invite them into our home absolutely like you have yeah. um the other part is because many many um, buildings then came up many of our traditional trees and our cultural trees and mm. plants disappeared were taken away so we would like that to return if at all possible uh, to have it look a more like during the times of our grandparents. I get it. Um, sure. and, and yes, progress happens. And I think both can happen. I agree with you. I, I don't think you have to choose right. one or the other. Right. So I hope for Lahaina that the people that come to live there want to make Lahaina their home, raise their families, be a, a part of the softball team yeah. and, and yeah. the swimming team and, yeah. and become a part of the the fabric of who we are as a people. Well, I'll tell you the the conversations I have with people when, when Lahaina comes up in conversation, um, everybody shows emotion um, because I think they have such unbelievable memories. It was a special community. It was uh, right, and and you know. Um, Made up of all different kinds of people. The Hongwanji Church was right down the street from the Hawaiian Congregational Church. It was yeah. right down the street from the Catholic Church. Sure. It was that kind of yeah. our community. But it represents the very spirit of which Hawaii is all about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's that inclusion. Inclusion. Community. Mm -hmm. We believe in that a whole heart. And, and we always welcome people who believe in that too. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I will tell you this, um, this trip for myself, I don't want to speak for Sebi, um, who's off camera, but he and I speak in between interviews as we're driving to the next place. And it just, the, the conversations get deeper and deeper because it is profound, the impact it's having on me as a person. It really is. I mean, sitting here today with you, this has been an unbelievable conversation. And I, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, and just educating me and, and our community a little bit more about understanding the Hawaiian cultures that are here. Mm -hmm. um, because I'll tell you, before arriving here, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an obligation if we're going to tell the stories of what happened here through the eyes of the firefighters and the, the people that were um, directly involved with the fires, um, it's important to get this piece too, mm -hmm. so that people understand that it, it is not just a community that burned. And, and why we are like this. Yes. Why, why Amos took you to his house and, and right. had barbecue with That's you right. with not a single thought different. And, and why when you talk to people, they tear up because their homeland is that. Yes. It is the land of their home. Yeah. And that runs deep in many people. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you for your time today. It was a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Um, I truly believe that this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. Good, and, good. Um, thank you for doing this, taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, Hokalani, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm Absolutely. so happy to be here. Oh, we will you. hug off camera. We will. We can <laughs> hug on camera. I don't care. But thank you. It was a, a wonderful conversation. Any last thoughts? Anything that maybe we didn't I didn't Well, I don't cover? know if we didn't cover, but what I would like people to know Please. is we certainly would love to have people come and enjoy Hawaii the yeah. same way we do. We just ask that you come as if it is your home. I love that. If it is your own home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. That. Yeah. You're welcome. Good. Aloha. Thank you everybody. Aloha. Next time on Maui Firestorm. What's the, the antithesis is they think that, that there's satellites from outer space shooting laser beams yeah. to light this fire. I mean, I mean, are you serious? Right. We should ask the question when you drive around Maui now, what, go look at the urban interface areas that didn't burn. The wildfire management in those areas is, is remiss and negligent. We've had fire after fire after fire in these areas. We had a, a fire incident under Hurricane Lane that almost did the same thing that just happened. What was the defensible space adjacent to these structures? What was the assessment of that fuel? What was the assessment of that building construction in that area? What did you think wasn't going to happen? And then you throw a very limited amount of resources, which are already tasked. This community has grown exponentially, and it has not kept pace with the fire resources that should be provided to it. Let us fight the fire on our terms. Let us fight the fire with good defensible space, with reasonable, adequate resources. That's our brothers and sisters that go into an environment, and they have the courage to go in there and do what they need to do because they were asked to go do it. What playing field did we give them? What did we ask those, those my brothers and sisters to go do that day? the higher up leadership, you know, shame on you. Shame on you for putting them in that situation. That's the playing field they deserve? That's the way they're supposed to fight the fire on their terms? Like that? That's respectable leadership? Come on, come on. The whole fire service can know what we can do better than that. We lost equipment. We could have lost several companies worth of firefighters that day. Yeah. You know, at some point there will be that reckoning of what happened and why. I think we're going to teach the world about how a community comes together and tries to rise up from a, a tragedy like this. But we're also going to show the world what not to do and how not to prepare. Yeah. And what happens when you don't? This was sadly very predictable to me. Everything I see is things I've seen before. There's no surprises that I'm seeing. This is human negligence. This is human negligence yeah. and that, that took and exposed a population. Exposed the population of people that we love and care about. They may not have known this was coming, but we did. We knew what the potential was. And then it happened. This blood's on my hands too as a, as a member of this organization. I didn't do enough over my career. Just the loss of life is, is unacceptable. And it was something that could have been prevented. And, and for me, that, that's, it's a nightmare.